You're listening to the award-winning podcast, The Ambitious Entrepreneur Show, featuring business leaders to help you navigate a constantly changing marketplace. Want to become known as a trusted authority while building a thriving business you love? The Ambitious Entrepreneur Show will show you how. Here's your host, Anne-Marie Cross. And welcome to another episode of the Ambitious Entrepreneur Show brought to you by the Influence Alliance for change makers who are looking to build a scalable and sustainable business they love. And yes, I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Now, my guest today says food for me has always been about sharing. I think what's happening and what worries me is we're so focused on convenience because we're time poor that we're losing some of the essence of what food really is. So join me on today's show is Lorraine Gunakandikam and she is the founder and CEO of Food Street. She's going to be sharing what Food Street is. She's a mum of two beautiful children and she is a passionate foodie. Now this is Lorraine's very first business and even though it is, she's been very entrepreneurial. Now with 15 plus years in medical devices and pharmaceutical, Lorraine had the opportunity to hone her skills before creating Food Street and it's been the wildest ride of her life and her working life. I'm sure we're going to hear more about that. Now, specifically on today's show, she's going to share how to start up a business from scratch while also working and raising a family, how to find the right investors for your business and tips on receiving funding and how to create a for-profit business that is also for good. So welcome to the show, Lorraine. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Thanks for having me on today. You are so welcome. So share a little bit more. Food Street. What is Food Street? So Food Street is a service uh, that connects people who are passionate about food and love cooking with time poor people in our communities. So we enable and empower home cooks to cook what they love, their traditional family recipes, what they're cooking for their own families. We enable them to do that and earn some income cooking from home whilst making the vast selection of beautiful meals um, that these people are cooking available to the wider public. So we, we're, we're an online uh, website. So basically, as a customer, you could go to our website and you could choose from over 100 meals uh, from close to 30 cooks at the moment um, that are all cooked in small batches and by hand and to tradi- traditional recipes um, and then fresh frozen and we deliver direct to the customer. That is amazing. So tell me, how did you come up with that idea? So it was actually through uh, sheer frustration. So I started my uh, working life as a chef um, straight out of school. And although I didn't continue on with being a chef, I was always someone who loved to cook and always had people over at our house um, cooking up big batches of food uh, because I love to share uh, my food. And I also come from a very multicultural background. So uh, food, as you mentioned in your beautiful intro, food to me has always been the centrepiece of any kind of gathering. Uh, It's an opportunity to share um, stories and cultural backgrounds um, and it's about nourishing and bringing people together. And as I journeyed on in my life through uh, my, my jobs in corporate and medical devices and pharmaceuticals, um, I came to a point in my life when I had two young, beautiful young children and I was finding it really, really difficult to come home and do justice to my job but also do justice to putting 
nutritious and beautiful food on the table for my family. And what what I found myself doing was uh, buying supermarket meals and um, buying takeaway meals, which are not very healthy and not something you want to be eating three times a week. So it was through utter frustration one night uh, sitting around the dinner table and talking to my husband and uh, wondering how other people were managing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the conversation basically led us to thinking about people we knew on our street. Uh, there was a lady that li- lived across the road that was cooking beautiful Mexican food and we'd always feel uh, get filled with this beautiful uh, smell of Mexican food wafting in the windows while I was ordering my pizza. And... Um, you know, we talked about people like her that we knew that um, could potentially maybe, you know, we could buy some food from her. And then we talked about other people that we knew that were in our situation, which was struggling to put a good meal on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea came up around, you know, what if we connected people on our street? Uh, what if we all helped each other? We could help the people that love cooking and want to earn a bit of extra income and mm-hmm. we could help people like us come up with healthier um, ways to do dinner time and yeah. reduce a lot of that mum guilt, which is something that I was feeling at the time. Mm. And that started our obsession with Food Street. Oh, <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously that beautifully segues into how to start a startup from scratch whilst you, as you said, you were working and, and also raising a family. So it started off with an idea and I know you're going to walk us through some of the things that you did and, and hindsight is a wonderful tool and teacher yeah. and so I'm sure you'll give us the things that you did that worked really well. But I wonder from the time that you spoke with your husband, you identified a need, you started doing some brainstorming. Often what happens at that stage is we go away and we don't really think about it until the same problem continues to resurface. So I wonder for you what was the time frame between having that wonderful conversation and then actually starting to take action to get this idea and the ball rolling which is now of course as we know food street so how long between that time frame um well I think for me personally it it became an all-consuming obsession which is you know I, I had always wanted to run my own business um I never really had an idea that I felt as passionate about as yeah. this particular idea. Um, and I remember my husband saying to me, um, you know, like, <laughs> I, th- I think you're getting a bit too excited. We haven't even, how are we going to get funding and how are we going to do this? And I I just had this inner belief that somehow I'd make it work. Um, yes. And, and um, so I guess from the time that we had that conversation, I probably started the next day the first step and then it was a period of months of trying to understand what we needed to do to get that business um, Mm. up and running. So there was all the beginning things like, you know, business name, trying to understand if we we went down the path of understanding if we needed to patent the idea, which we ended up realising you couldn't, um, but, you know, consulting with those lawyers. And then the, the first biggest thing we did was we um, reached out and got in touch with some food lawyers uh, because for us, like thinking of this as a concept, I remember us talking about it, you know, we, we didn't want to do any harm. We wanted to make people's lives better and we didn't want to be negligent in the way that we um, went about our business. So that was our first big investment was hiring some lawyers to help us understand the business case and I guess what the risks were and how we could do that in a safe and sustainable way. 
Yeah, Sorry. I was going to say, so it's really important that you, and so when you were going through that process, knowing that you even needed a lawyer, was that something that came to you or had you already spoken to people um, who said, look, with your business the way it is and, and the business model you're wanting to create, you really do need to speak to these experts to support you. Was that something that you found um, through the research? No, I think what happened was um, I, I had tried to sell food from home previously, being a being a foodie and a cook, and I knew that I had called the council a number of times and they made it out as if it was absolutely impossible for us to do that. Um, so I knew, I kind of knew from a from a cook's side what that looked like. Um, and then I, I ended up looking up legislation and trying to get my head around the legislation. Um, but there's actually two parts of the legislation uh, that affects this business. And it just seemed to be something that was not something I could do. So I researched and set, you know, did a, did a search around who were the thought leaders um, in food industry um, and what we were trying to do had never been done before. So yeah. there was no precedent for it. So we thought the best way forward would be to engage some professional advice. Perfect. What I love yeah. about what you've done, and then I'll let you share the, the steps again, is someone, the organisation, the council went, no, no, you can't do that, it's impossible. And then you've gone, well, actually, I'm not just going to do that in my local council. I'm sure you're now, yeah. you know, statewide and probably even that nationwide. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, so the step was you spoke and you hired, um, invested in some professional expert advice, yep. Yes. Yes. And then um, once we got that uh, expert advice back, um, it gave us, you know, the risks and the, the parts that we couldn't do. And we were still in the formation part of our business around how do we actually build, you know, what does the model look like? How would it actually work? And they were able to, I guess, highlight what we could and could not do as a hard barrier for us to then build our business to fit within those walls. Um, mm. And what I did was I just made sure that I... Um, involved the regulators every step of the way and I had regular meetings because I think a lot of the bigger companies, you know, the Ubers of the world um, had this kind of approach where they, they, built, they built such a big business and um, didn't really engage the regulators and mm. got into a lot of trouble along the way. But with my medical background um, and yeah. having had worked with regulators in the past, I thought it was really important and, and a really key he, um, I guess, ethic of our business to mm -hmm. work with regulators and do things the right way. So, so yeah, so there was a lot of people that said you'd nev you'll never be able to do it. There is no way. <laughs> but we did it and it was just through absolute relationship building um, mm -hmm. and a lot of investment of time and energy into setting it up the right way. Yeah, setting up a business the right way, I think, is so crucial because and, and involving key stakeholders, which in this instance is very much the regulators. I would imagine if you look back at the discussions you would have had with them, there are probably insights that determine decisions that you've made and the, the process by which you followed that was on the back of some of the things that these regulators brought up, yes? Absolutely, absolutely. And we ended up building our business around their advice um, and around what we then uh, has formed part of our IP around the conversations and the understanding of why things are allowed and why things are not allowed and how, how to actually build that business. So, and we still, we still talk to them and I do have private advisors now um, that are very well respected in that space that provide advice to our business. It's yeah. very important. 
Oh, it is. And I'd imagine, yeah. too, that because you've got in, uh, other cooks, other chefs involved, home chefs, there's protocols that they need to be mindful of and those rules just need to be followed. And so yeah. when you're onboarding, that, so the advice that you would have got by making that decision, we are not only going to be mindful of the regulations, we're going to, into, we're going to involve them and welcome them into the discussions. It's yeah. buy-in, isn't it, the way, all the way through. So yeah, it's how really. asking them to contribute to that conversation. So when you got that, then you've got your idea, you've got your, uh, you know, the things that you need to do. What was the next stage or the major big stage in, in building this and actually launching? Yeah, so so the next stage was we, we came up with a business model of how it, we would go forward and it is very different to what it is today. But the business model early on was a hot food model. So it would literally be in a, in a small area, you'd have people cooking in their homes um, mm-hmm. and you could pre-order the day before and then go to that person's house and pick up the food. So yeah. literally thinking about that street concept, that was how we wanted, that's how we launched the product. Um, yeah. And we ended up choosing uh, Sydney's highest density suburb, which was Zetland. Um, mm-hmm. And we planned, uh, first of all, we had to build the website. So we had some partners that helped us with building that first website um, and all of our processes and back ends as, as an e-commerce business. And then we um we launched in probably it was 12 months after we had the business idea. We launched the concept wow. as an uh, in, uh, like a, a test case in Zetland, mm. um, and we did the we first of all we did a cooks call out. So we actually got went out and invited people to come in and cook, and then mm. once we had the cooks established, it was a matter of driving the demand side of our platform. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. And so when you have a look back then, um, would there be anything that you would have done differently? Because I think, again, Inside is a wonderful teacher. Yeah, probably um, we made the mistake that a lot of startups make. <laughs> so the mistake we made was we thought we knew exactly how it was going to work um, and we paid some money into building a custom, uh, it wasn't an app, but it was a custom platform to enable us to run that concept mm-hmm. and that model um if in hind- like like you said hindsight's a great thing but um we ended up getting rid of that six months later and wasted quite a bit of uh money doing that um so i think that was something everybody said to us don't build anything until you know exactly what you're building but we yeah. thought no no we know what we're building <laughs> so um <laughs> and we ended up wasting that money so i think if there was one thing we did differently it would have been not going ahead and investing into building a technology yet yeah and yeah. so would i would i be right to assume then that the change that you made one of the major changes was not being a hot food but rather because you mentioned a frozen food so was that one of the changes you made or did that come later? That came later. So that's uh, the last two years now mm. that we made that change. But I, I, I do think I'm a big believer in um, I don't regret much about what we what I do in my life because I think everything has a learning value and yeah. I think, you know, if we hadn't pursued the hot food concept because it's something mm. that's been tried by many, many people before, um, if we hadn't tested that, then we wouldn't have ended up where we are today with such confidence, knowing um, the, the pitfalls of that particular model. 
Yeah. What I love about what you're sharing there, and I mean, it's very entrepreneurial, isn't it? We take risks and there's yeah. informed risks and then there's risks that we that we can say, well, now we're better informed through having done that. So I, I, overall, I mean, you said just in the last two years, I think if, I'm, if, uh, if I recall correctly, you've changed that more to now a frozen model. But yeah. from when you started, because I'm not sure whether we actually mentioned from that idea, you did that for 12 months. And yeah. then, so how long has the business actually been running so 2015 we came that night sitting at the dinner table was august 2015 and we ended up launching in zetland uh i think it was october 2016 so just yeah. over a year it took to get all of everything um lined up yeah, I yeah. love that. I love that. So this beautifully segues into the second point about how to find the right investor for your business and tips on receiving funding, because obviously there's a lot of steps, ins and outs that you did. But throughout that time, I mean, you invested in professional expertise in the lawyer, the, the area of legalities. Was that something that you funded out of your own pocket and then got funding? Tell us the journey of, of the funding that the you funding. received. Mm. Sure. Yeah, look, we... Uh, we um, Fortunately, had some years behind us in working uh, full-time, my husband and I. So, we yes, we did fund quite a bit of our business early on. And we, we very naively, and that's that's a, <laughs> something that I, these are learning in my life, you know, I just thought, oh, well, we can do it in a year. Like we'll, we'll be able to get, we'll build it up and we'll get funding in a year and it'll be completely fine. Mm. Um, and it didn't have, it doesn't happen. It didn't happen for us that way. So um, it took us a lot longer to get funding. Um mm. But we were lucky that we were able to fund it ourselves for quite mm. quite a bit of time um, and yes. we did put quite a bit into our own business or what they call skin in the game, I guess, mm. when investors look at it. Um, and then we got to a point where I think it was, I'm um, just trying to think, it was over two years ago now, just on two years ago now, that we went for a crowdfunding campaign and it was just before the legislation changed on crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, and we, yeah, basically we went to go through with the crowdfunding and we had all this money pledged to us, which was very exciting. But when we started looking through the details around what was needed, we would have to have become a publicly unlisted company. And the ramifications of that was, we did not think was a, a good thing. And they, they were about to change the legislation and they ended mm. up changing it three months later. Um, so we paused on the crowdfunding campaign and Prior to that, you know, I, I started looking for, for funding from the very beginning. And for me, looking for funding is all about networking, understanding the landscape as mm. far as, you know, who are the investors, where would we find these investors. Um, and I think I would have pitched my business um, at over 100 times, <laughs> which mm. means I would have gotten over 100 rejections on that. Um, mm. And... And, you know, you're constantly trying to go, okay, well, I didn't get this funding this time. Why is that? What, how do I adjust my business to show that and demonstrate that for the next time I go for funding? Mm -hmm. um, but then out of that crowdfunding campaign, we did get a fantastic angel investor who just loved the vision and the purpose mm -hmm. of what we were trying to achieve. Um, and she put in some money for us and yeah. then... Um, and then basically we, we kept looking for funding and we, we just kept trying to prove out the model and prove out the model. Um, mm. And it was just recently that we closed um, a, a fantastic investor, uh, David Hancock, who is the former um, 
uh, founder of Afterpay. Um, mm. He's joined us, which is hugely exciting uh, to have him on board and to have his wealth of knowledge um, and information being put into our business. So um, we're now at that stage where we're, we're scaling and we're ready to go um, and it's, you know, it's been a labour of love. Yes. I mean, when you're t- thinking about uh, the different growth stages of your business, if you look back to some of the pitches that you did for the to find that right investor, I mean, obviously now you've got a wonderful investor, which is great. But what are some of the insights for those people who are maybe in the process of preparing information to pitch to investors? What are some of the do not do this because this is what I did, but here are some of the key things that we got feedback that was really positive. So do this. Yeah, look, that could be a whole other half hour on on, on these things. But I really think it's about finding, it is like finding a needle in a haystack. Mm. Um, So for us, and I learned over the years that our business is, because it's so different, we, we were looking for a certain type of investor. So I guess if I had to go back, you know, if someone had said to me, profile your, and people did say that, profile your investor, but I had no idea what that meant. Mm. But there's different types of investors and different types of investors that look for different things, that invest in certain um, industries that, you know, are at different stages of their investment journey. Um, And it's just over time that I learnt that. Um, And, you know, finding someone like, David Hancock was, you know, it, there, there was no magic about it. I spoke to someone, that person spoke to someone else. I pitched to them. They loved it. Yeah. They pitched, we pitched to David and it, and it, he loved it and he was just the right investor at the right time. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's just perseverance and it's a numbers game and it's trying to find the perfect match really. Mm. That is an incredible insight because if if we think about business in itself and marketing, you know, you could be sharing a marketing message so your pitch could have all of the right points. It's just that you had to educate a a lot of those people there. They weren't your ideal investor. It's like, you know, how many messages that it's not the right message or the right right audience. So change your audience. And so with with, with the conversation then that you, you had, with, with people you also want to share around on, on receiving funding so what are some of the things that need to be in place to transition that that receiving in the best possible way for all parties involved do you mean um from a like the technicalities of that yeah because about- I mean, are there some things that you need to have in place because you know a lot of businesses will start up and they think look once we've got uh, funding behind us, we will be fine. But I'm sure from the funder's point of view, you need to have some things in place so that the relationship can can continue because often people, I would assume that mm. businesses think, well, once we've got money, we're fine. But actually it's you still need to nurture that relationship and have the Absolutely. right things in place so that it's a win-win-win for everyone. Absolutely. I mean, from a, from a very... Um... Uh, technical perspective you know you, you need to have a business model um, yeah. but in saying that you know as a startup things move so quickly that mm-hmm. and, and I think I got caught on that as well you know you do out these five-year plans that have you know changes in mm-hmm. revenue and da 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 but the, the reality is that within within three months it changes anyway so yeah. but what you have to do is you have to demonstrate that you have a good sound knowledge of the financial side of your business and that mm-hmm. you have a plan to move it towards a certain uh, to a, to a certain um, 
milestone, I guess. Yes. Um, and that has to be aligned with what the investor wants as well. So that's yeah. that's the 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 hard bit. But of course, you know, all the legal documents need to be in place. Um, and yeah, you 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 need to be set up to be able to receive receive that funding. And then mm-hmm. for us, you know. I guess it just depends on the investor and how they want to operate as well. Um, yeah. Our angel investor, you know, we she's very, very busy. So it's not something that we sit down every month and have a meeting, but in other, yeah. in other, some other investors are someone that talks to us, you know, every week. So yes. it just depends on that negotiation of what, how you want that investment to, to operate as well. Did you find that the, when you were talking to investors that not only did they want a solid business idea, but they were actually interested also too in, in you, in, in, because as you know, in businesses and and I'm sure there's always risk involved, but are investors also looking at, well, if market does change, what sort of personality are you? Are you going to continue to, you know, go up, down, left, right, and find that, every single way that you can continue. They're looking for that drive and passion too, I want to imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's definitely something with both of the investors in our business that has been around, you know, a really important thing. And I think it's important as a founder as well. Like you, you want to make sure that, the people that are investing in your company believe in you and mm-hmm. see the value that you can bring. Uh, because I've had many conversations with not the right investors where they can't see the value. <laughs> so it's all very yeah. subjective. Um, so I think it's 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 a match, you know, someone you're going to work with who's um, partnering into your business. So it needs to mm-hmm. be something uh, where, where it's a win-win for both parties. Yeah. So if you have a look at your business model now, I'd imagine that there is quite a strong tech platform. Do you have an app now that that, that works or it's online? Tell us about how you kind of communicate with clients. I'm quite fascinated. Yeah, sure. Look, we we um, we don't have an app. We have a it's a website um, and it's something that you know, in the in the plans for us to be able to build that out into a full platform. Um, for us at the moment, you know, we manage, we have a start, you know, we have a warehouse uh, in the northern beaches of Sydney. Uh, we have warehouse staff. So what happens is our cooks are all vetted um, when they're onboarded. Each of their meals are tested and um, we taste test everything uh, so it's up to our, our standards. And then we place orders on a weekly basis. It's only in very small batches. Um, and then we pick up on a weekly basis, we go out and we pick up all the meals and bring them back to our warehouse. Um, and then customers come in and they order across the whole website and they're able to pick whatever they like. There's no subscriptions. Um yeah. And then we pick and pack and, and send out to the customers. So our business is enabled by technology and the future of that, there's so much we can build from a technical yeah. platform, but really a lot of it is to do with logistics and, and warehousing um, and the, the food side. For us, it's the taste of the food that is just so different to anything you can find yeah. on the market. Yeah, amazing. And I love the way that, you know, you've stressed it's important to be able to get that right first and then you can add, you can add. Because I think as entrepreneurs, what we our vision could be so big. It, it, it's a different stages, isn't it? And uh, that's right. So out of interest, I mean, I mentioned it's possible that people around Australia can then go to the website and buy meals. 
not right now because we don't. Yeah. We only deliver across um, New South Wales, so we deliver everywhere from Port Stephens all the way Greater Sydney down to Wollongong, Barrel, uh, that area. But that's that's part of what the funding uh, has come in for, and we're currently in plans planning stage to try and get. Um, the model set up and then expanded into our vision is to be in every community across Australia and to, for everybody to have food street meals in their freezer. Oh, I mean, as yeah. you're sharing that, I mean, how many women or families would be going absolutely and uh, the, the different cultures that you can mm. tap into in the food. So that's exciting. So let's talk about, because obviously you're a for-profit business, but you also very much with a for-good. How, how have you been able to blend those two things? So I think, oh, look, I, I was reading on your uh, podcast information, you know, I think, if it's something, I really believe the businesses of the future need to be tapping into that for good. Mm -hmm. And um, our business, yes, it is for profit, um, but what we're doing is we're empowering and enabling, and that, that's our, our uh, mission mm -hmm. statement, is to empower and enable people through home cooking. So if you think about it, if you're, if you're someone who loves to cook, you're cooking multiple times a week, sometimes multiple times a day, and you're ref constantly refining and refining your um, skills. Yes. So what we have here is a, a, a huge skilled labour force that are not earning money for that skill. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, what we've been able to achieve and, and it's at the forefront of everything that we do in our business is all about empowering people to cook from home and to be able to earn some income doing what they love. And yeah. one of the funny things is that we, we do a lot of videos um, of our cooks. They come in and, and cook something and we interview them about why they cook and what they, what they like to cook. And every single person uh, without us prompting them says the reason they cook is because they love um, seeing the smile on people's faces when they eat their food. They mm. Um, see it as a sign of generosity and love and, you know, it's about giving. And I think so that there is the fundamental basis. It starts with a really good intent. Um, mm. That food, because it's made with such care and love, tastes better and it's better for you, um, which then makes the customers happy um, to keep ordering that food and it becomes a cycle where, you know, not only are we empowering the cooks, but we're also enabling the time poor people to eat better food. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, bringing people together. So there's so much good in what we're doing. Yeah, well, I'm sold. I'm sold. That's why when, <laughs> when you reached out and said, I'd love to come on the show, I thought, absolutely. And what I love about this, I mean, the whole concept's wonderful, but just what is possible? I mean, how many people such as yourself sit down across the table, they share an idea, if only this, this and this, and then sadly it doesn't go anywhere. But what an opportunity that you've now done. And so you've created a business that, as you say, it ties so many people, combines unite so many people the cooks who love and passionate about food other people who are passionate about food but don't necessarily like to cook which is I'll put my hand up for that however know the value of uh, a healthy meal and and what a great opportunity for you to do that so share a little bit more about what's the website share that again sure. so people can uh, can go there so the website is www.foodst which is food street for short .com.au um, and 
you can you can simply pick and choose across uh, all of the meals, um, and we have everything from Cambodian street foods to you know your traditional lasagnas. Um, and we're bringing on many more cooks, particularly now with our expansion, many more cooks and many more dishes. Uh, we add two di- two new dishes a week, so we're trying to keep it you know really fresh. So there's something different for everyone. Wow. So I'm assuming that you that for for consumers, obviously customers who like um, to have you know tasty, healthy meals, but also call out for some cooks, some home cooks that that think I'd love to contribute. That absolutely that to the website and connect with you too. Absolutely. So there is a part on our website under cooks. It's it's in the menu cooks that says apply to be a cook, um, and you know we we are open to everybody. So whether you're a a mum who loves cooking and people always comment about, you know, how beautiful your cooking is and you should you should try and sell your meals. This is the perfect opportunity because we're able to provide you with all the, I guess, business uh, set up around um, around that. And we've got people who are chefs who, you know, are using Food Street as a creative outlet because yeah. sometimes when you're chefing, you're not able to cook what it is that you want. So we've got everything, for, you know, in between those two extremes. Um, so it's open to everybody um, and there is a process for, for coming on board, but it's something we walk you through uh, personally yeah. as well. Fantastic. Well, look, thanks so much for coming on the show, Lorraine, sharing your story and your journey. Uh, I've I've loved it and I know that others that are listening and watching uh, will as well. So all the very best and who knows, maybe one day when you expand, we'll all have an opportunity to to taste the awesome meals that I know that your chefs and your cooks uh, are creating as part of that platform. So thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Anne-Marie. This podcast is brought to you by... TheInfluenceAlliance.com Want to influence real change with your message by becoming known as a trusted authority in your industry while building a sustainable and scalable business you love? Find out how by accessing our free podcast series at www.TheInfluenceAlliance.com forward slash podcast series. That's TheInfluenceAlliance.com forward slash podcast series.